this series was independently funded, so you could gain insight into how the media operates. Journalists rarely report on their own practices. If you're interested in hearing more from others under the spotlight, you can help by making a one-off contribution. Just click on the link in the show notes. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The news shocked Australians. Tonight, unbelievable horror. A man murders his 11-year-old son at cricket practice. We couldn't make sense of this appalling act. The violent death of a child at the hands of a parent is hard to comprehend. Why would Greg Anderson attack Luke Batty? Then the innocent boy's mother, Rosie, bearing unimaginable grief, stepped unexpectedly into the public eye. It was a tragic situation that no one could see was going to happen. I'm still dealing with disbelief. This ordinary woman suffered years of family violence, fighting to be heard until 2014. The extraordinary death of her son was not only devastatingly traumatic, but highly newsworthy. When Rosie Batty faced the waiting media pack and spoke her truth, she never anticipated rising to prominence. I always said, there's a moment in time where you can make a difference. And I I thought that was just like a couple of interviews, not a few years, and I didn't ever expect it to evolve. It keeps evolving really for me now even. Rosie was plucked from obscurity by a shrewd industry that feeds our fascination with adversity and the strength of the human spirit. I'm Fiona Reynolds, a journalist and former media executive who has turned trauma into news and survivors into celebrities. Most people who suddenly hit the headlines find the media and public attention is short-lived. Rosie instead used the spotlight to galvanise support for a national campaign against family violence. She was authentic and learnt to play the game, remaining largely unaffected by the tricks of a competitive trade, the relentless pursuits, the betrayals of truth and trust. The journey from single mum to Australian of the Year was exhausting, though. Public recognition invites public criticism. The challenge is that it's hard to be anonymous, except I don't expect people to know who I am. So I'm just navigating this way forward, still being surprised people know who I am. This is the inside story on what it's like to become an accidental celebrity. Episode 6, The Face of Family Violence. A warning, you'll hear graphic descriptions that you may find disturbing. 
On a peaceful summer evening in a small Australian town, dads were helping their sons at cricket practice. It was a relaxed and happy atmosphere at the Tired Cricket Club on the 12th of February 2014. Rosie Batty didn't perceive danger as she waited for 11-year-old Luke to finish playing with her ex-partner Greg Anderson. When Luke raced over just before 6pm, asking if they could have a few extra minutes together, she agreed. Rosie could see Luke in his yellow shirt, hitting balls in the nets 50 metres from where she stood. She turned away for no more than 20 seconds, then heard a man scream. Rosie ran, saw Greg hunched over Luke, cradling his head. Her son wasn't moving. He must have been struck by a ball, an accident. Rosie ran again, back towards the clubhouse, screaming for an ambulance. Flashing red and blue lights, followed by police cars, A panic-stricken and confused Rosie was forced behind the clubhouse. Two loud cracks. Greg was shot, she was told. Rosie lived for Luke. Somehow she knew he was dead. The distraught mother was urged not to see her little boy while learning the full horror that Greg hit Luke in the back of the head with a cricket bat knocking him unconscious, if not killing their son, before cutting his throat in a premeditated attack. Greg threatened paramedics with a knife, lunged at police, was shot in the chest while resisting arrest, and airlifted to hospital. Rosie spent the night at the cricket ground and then the police station. Just after midnight, while she was providing a detailed statement about her relationship with Greg and what she witnessed... He died during emergency surgery. Police took Rosie home at about 6 o'clock in the morning, 12 hours after her child was killed. News of the tragedy had already filtered out. Boy killed, man shot at Oval. Cops shoot killer dad. Son dead, dad shot. Police open fire on father after fatal attack at cricket training. The media swarmed into Tyab, a semi-rural community of just over 3,000 people. The town that was known for its antique shops now provided the backdrop for a terrible murder. Most news crews made the hour-long drive south from metropolitan Melbourne to Victoria's Mornington Peninsula, equipped to record or transmit live. It's a story the whole nation is talking about tonight. Rosie recognises why the violent crime captured media and public attention. It's beyond people's comprehension that that is possible. So people are appalled but intrigued. And so ultimately the media have a responsibility, as as it would appear, to to find out about that situation. Um, And so that's, you know, every family, every individual will find that's the media will be on your doorstep when something like that happens. But it was the public nature of it, I'm quite sure. It had never been done before. How could that happen at cricket practice? Emotionally and physically exhausted, Rosie fell asleep as news crews gathered in her street. Some reporters left business cards at the door. I woke up and my house was full of people who 
uh, were from the local area, friends, connections Luke and I had, everybody coming together in their grief and shock, supporting and comforting each other. And um, I heard people talking about the media being outside and my memory of that was they felt they should tell the media to go away. Uh, but they, what they were doing is talking about, you know, really with my best interests at heart as to what they were, should do to protect me. Um, I guess I resented or objected to people making decisions on my behalf without consulting with me. And I, out of stubbornness with absolutely no planning of what I would say or why I was even doing it, I decided to walk out to the media. Um, I actually had every intention of saying in a very respectful, nice way, I know you've got a job to do, but could you please respect my privacy and leave? Which is exactly what you see in the movies and all that stuff, you know. So that was, I think, what was running through my mind. And they were incredulous that it was me that had come out. They didn't recognize me. They don't know who I was. So when they did, they were incredibly kind, respectful, and encouraged in a very, you know, very kind way, would I want to say something? And so I did. I started to talk in a way that I hadn't planned. Journalists and camera operators routinely stake out the homes of bereaved people and even conduct what's called a death knock to gather their thoughts and feelings. But to see a suffering stranger approach the media... So unusual was the scene that Rosie's pursuers from the press described it to readers of the Melbourne-based Herald Sun and The Age. Confident reporters and camera crew, who usually compete with a chorus of questions, nodded quietly, hushed into respect by the raw grief and sheer guts of this little woman. Ms Batty stood by herself in the middle of the road at the end of a dead-end street. She spoke not for a moment, but for 24 full minutes. She was surrounded gently by microphones and cameras. She was given space when she shook and time when she cried. When a question seemed too blunt or abrupt, she was generous. Rosie had something to share, a perspective we did not see coming. Her powerful words silenced all but the occasional camera click. Family violence happens to everybody, no matter how nice your house is, how intelligent you are. It happens to anyone and everyone. And this has been an 11-year battle. Rosie placed into context a hidden health and social crisis by sharing her personal story with the media pack and, in turn, the country. She told how she met Greg Anderson 20 years before and raised Luke on her own as her ex-partner's abuse escalated. He showed symptoms of mental illness and became homeless. When you're involved with family violence, friends, family, judge you, the woman, for the decisions you should make, the decisions you don't make, but you're the victim. Greg was violent towards Rosie, but never showed aggression towards their son, who loved and trusted him. 
As a compromise, she allowed the 54-year-old to see Luke in the supposed safety of an open environment. Now, if something was to come from Luke's death, it was a lesson to everyone. The heartbroken mother of the schoolboy murdered by his father has bravely spoken out about family violence. Rosie's split-second decision to talk, eyes red from tears, propelled her and the private struggle of many to the forefront of media coverage and public discussion. If bravery is grace under pressure, then Rosie Batty is one of the bravest women we'll see. Her selfless analysis of Luke's murder is astonishing, admirable and soothing in equal measures. The woman who ran a mobile teddy bear making business could never have imagined that the course of her life was about to change. I didn't have an agenda, I didn't realise, but do I regret that? Absolutely not. Was I treated respectfully? Absolutely I was. There were a lot of seasoned, very seasoned journalists out there who had been um, journalists for many years. There were a whole different range. Every single one of them was affected by Luke's murder. They were horrified and saddened. They were human beings. They had a job to do, but none of them would have wanted to be in my shoes. Their parents. You know, they have children and, they, and that trauma affects them too, you know, and, they, and so I guess with having a job to do, the best they can do is actually reflect your story with compassion, um, with accuracy and from that moment I chose to do that. I respected Greg, Luke's father, in that as well. I had no intention of stooping to a level of uh, ugly blaming. No one loved Luke more than Greg, his father. No one loved Luke more than me. We both loved him. Rosie rationalised that killing Luke was Greg's final act of power over her. In front of the media, she appeared in control, thinking and acting for herself, although surrounded by cameras and microphones, measured in her responses, although deeply traumatised. I can't bring him back. I can't explain how the words were so carefully chosen. Um, I had a few years previously completed a diploma in community welfare. I had studied family violence as a, an elective, as a subject. I understood family violence theoretically as well as experiencing it. So I understood some of the myths that surround family violence. And so I think that's what I spoke to that day. Rosie also painted a picture of Luke, portraying him as an effervescent and sensitive boy who loved sport as well as making and sharing quirky home videos. Mainstream media typically trawl through websites and social networks for images of ordinary people caught in high-profile news events. Showing the face of trauma helps us relate and create an emotional connection. Luke's little movies became an easy source of downloadable pictures. Spread the Christmas joy. Hey, Mum, wishing you a Merry Christmas. A few days later, Rosie released more photographs as a tribute to her child and an insight into their lives. The media wanted certain pictures of, of Luke and his father and me and things like that. And I was also going through them to try and go through them for his funeral, you know, it was bloody shit. 
you do what you need to do to, so that they, they can do their job as well as possible. Luke shared Rosie's blue eyes and gentle smile. They touched the souls of Australians who followed the news and opened their hearts. Overwhelmingly, I got truckloads of beautiful cards, flowers, 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 um, beautiful letters from men, women, young and old, children. You know, it just, the flowing of, the flowing of deep uh, recognition for my loss was felt across all the way out, you know, I knew in, in, in the UK. A 25-year-old Rosie Batty moved from a small English village to Australia in 1987 to try life on the other side of the world. Leading London newspapers were among the international press that reported the shocking event, localising the coverage by describing her as a British mother, originally from England, a Brit living in Australia. Rosie and Luke had only returned from five weeks visiting family in the United Kingdom less than a month before his murder. I think that that was surprising to me, that some of my family members were approached by the media in the UK. They just chose not to engage. In England, you've got um, the tabloid press, and um, so a lot of distrust. Yeah, just being afraid to say anything in case it's misused or misrepresented. Rosie, on the other hand, did not stop speaking, openly and publicly. The media constantly called seeking her opinion on whether family violence, an issue she pulled into the spotlight, was being dealt with properly by governments and the law. Fears for kids as dads flout orders. Rosie's plan to stop deaths. Her voice was real and powerful. She was never afraid to use it. Six weeks after Luke was killed, Rosie appeared on the nationally televised talk show Studio 10 on Network 10 and blasted a panellist for a comment he made about proposed laws on mandatory reporting of child sex abuse. Journalist Joe Hildebrand said, quote, Frankly to say that you know you're going to not report a case of child abuse or child sex abuse by your partner because you're scared for your own safety, sorry, that's not an excuse. I was listening on my earpiece. I just called him on it and said, it's unacceptable. And Joe, your comments are so, so misguided. So don't you ever think that if we don't report, it's because we don't want to. It's because we are so scared about what might happen. Joe needs to look at his views as a man and he needs to step up and get informed. So it was victim blaming, basically. They did ask me to go back onto the show and I refused to. From that, and it all went viral, I got invited by the media to take me across to the UK. And they were wanting to pay for me to go over to the UK. And, and I had considered it. Instead, Rosie participated in an episode of the ABC's Four Corners television program in Australia highlighting the systemic failings that led up to Luke's death. I wanted people to learn something. I didn't want things to be sensationalised. I didn't want it to be dramatised. I was very cautious and careful and suspicious of the potential for it to become a sensationalised story because that's 
unfortunately, a lot of our TV channels are built on programs that do sensationalise through their journalism and their style. So I have predominantly chosen programs that are ABC because they're investigative journalism. They are thorough and the intent is what can people learn from this? That's, that's why I, I do that. Be authentic and have yourself reflected in a, an authentic way. I'm one of those horror stories. I'm one of those worst things that have ever happened. And now I've joined that club. Greg Anderson was facing 11 criminal charges, including for accessing child pornography at the time of the murder. Rosie wasn't told about all of them. There were four warrants out for his arrest and two intervention orders had been imposed. Rosie had involved the police, the courts, child protection and social workers, yet her son died. Lawyers and leaders in the family violence sector reached out to Rosie, offering support. She trusted those new connections and soon realised that for the public to understand and remember the facts, she'd need to repeat them, often. I didn't know there was one woman a week being murdered, at least. I didn't know those statistics, but every time I speak, every time I'm interviewed, I try to weave in those statistics. How appalling is it? that we have one woman a week at least being murdered and this is international crisis. These were the, you know, these are the things I was learning. This was the, some of the uh, support I was being given. I would often go to whether it's a radio interview or, and I would have someone with me from some of the key organisations. As her recognition grew, so did the chorus of calls for action to protect women and children. In January 2015, three weeks before the first anniversary of Luke's death, the Victorian Government announced a Royal Commission into Family Violence, acknowledged as the state's most urgent law and order emergency. Three days later, Rosie Batty, the grieving mother and outspoken advocate, was named 2015 Australian of the Year. I would like to dedicate this award to my beautiful son, Luke. He is the reason I have found my voice and I'm able to be heard. I felt deeply conflicted because I'm thinking, why am I getting awarded? And I was really um, uncomfortable because I felt that how can I get awarded because my son got murdered? And they said, it's, actually, it's because of the way you've responded to your son's death. And so I started to accept that. The honour fuelled Rosie's determination to ensure Luke did not die in vain. She had the opportunity to champion the victims of family violence through her high profile but feared that influence may only last one more year. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. 
Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Rosie spoke at 250 events while Australian of the Year, crisscrossing the country, visiting remote Aboriginal communities and regional towns. She regularly met political and corporate leaders. Soon after receiving her award in 2015, the Prime Minister appointed her to a national advisory panel on the prevention of violence against women. This was a moment in time that I felt had to be maximised. It did exhaust me, it did overwhelm me. There were times I didn't cope, but mostly it gave me I guess the purpose I needed and the gap I needed to try to fill, which is impossible, but to get me through the worst time of my life. And I just kept thinking, how fortunate am I? Because the other alternative is sitting at home whilst other people who you consider lifetime friends, people in the community, get on with their lives. And then you are angry because they, you feel that they've forgotten you. And it's, you know, this is grief. This is grief and it's, it's a huge, it's a huge journey. There were more media interviews than she could count that year, along with the release of her book, A Mother's Story, written with journalist Bryce Corbett. Rosie remembers he was among the persistent reporters who called after Luke's death. They became instant friends. Corbett wrote about why Rosie deserved to win Australian of the Year as the lead article in the April 2015 edition of the Australian Women's Weekly magazine. There she was, positioned between stories about film and television personalities and lifestyle tips, reaching out to those she represented, the target audience, women. I was so made up. You could, I didn't even recognise myself on the front cover. So like, is that me? I was like, oh, my God, because they airbrush you and they make you look all quaffed. And, and actually, I think, you know, the editor, Helen McCabe at the time, is like, you know, didn't agree, but they get carried away, you know. And, and really what people want to see is you, not the best version of yourself because you've been airbrushed and manicured and looking like some, you know, uh, they want to see you. Rosie Batty had become an accidental celebrity with a public image that didn't always match her self-image. She was an ordinary person involved in a newsworthy event whose private life was then a source of ongoing media coverage. The more recognisable she became, the more story angles she provided, the more journalists wrote, ensuring she remained visible to the public. Mum fights for the broken. Why is the government lying to Rosie Batty? Rosie found that while posing for media photographs, she was asked to not look too happy and not too sad. Laughing would seem totally inappropriate. At public events, the attractive and well-groomed woman was remarkably composed, often masking her private trauma, the angry outbursts from grief that hurt some friends. The self-loathing was so hard for me that there were times I, I didn't want to live. And I didn't necessarily consider planning my own death. 
but I wanted to be taken out and it would have been a relief. Add to that the scrutiny that came from being publicly recognisable and Rosie felt, at times, quite self-conscious. And the fear you have, and probably this is where people are fearful of the media, is when you trip up, when you're not who people thought you were because of something human that you may have done, that can, again, just be a really difficult journey to navigate because of trauma, because of PTSD, because of grief, because of being stressed out of my brain and overstretched. You know, I had meltdowns at the airport over something that was really an overreaction to something that you would never normally would react to. And I did used to think, thank God the media aren't here because you needed kind people to just say, it's okay, it's okay. And I had those members of the public or the air hostesses. I had those people because I was run ragged while I was Australian of the Year and I just wanted to make the most of that position. At the time, Rosie was also leading the Luke Batty Foundation. She built in her son's memory after people in her local community started giving money. While media organisations donated too, she didn't negotiate paid exclusive interviews and, unlike many other highly sought-after public figures, there was no advisor or agent to field constant calls from reporters. That had to change when the Foundation prepared to launch a national campaign called Never Alone on the 20th of June 2015, what would have been Luke's 13th birthday. My mission is to make sure women and children who experience family violence are supported. Communications strategist Essential Media designed the campaign and appointed an advisor to help Rosie gain and maintain interest, placing an unprecedented focus on the need for systemic change. They continued on together until 2018, four years after Luke's death, when she made the tough decision to step down from the foundation. Rosie felt she'd lost her personal connection with what became a corporate entity, the foundation closed. While lifting awareness undoubtedly secured extra funding for family violence programs and forced important policy changes, Rosie paid a personal price for being in the public eye, judged by strangers questioning her integrity and attempting to undermine her message. It's hard. It's hard when you see yourself being misrepresented and being labelled a tragic celebrity trying to profit from your son's death, those are things you just didn't ever anticipate. And the trolling, the trolling you get, you know, so the online commentary is ugly and any female journalist would, would know that. And so you have to learn not to look because it does, it does impact you. And sometimes, you know, they're absolute threats, absolute threats, you know, the men's rights groups, whole stack of people extreme in their views. And I became the face of family violence. I became this person that's naming this as a gendered issue. And so everybody knows my name. Rosie sometimes wonders whether the most personal attacks on social media were driven by expectations of how a traumatised person should behave in public. Maybe they don't like you. Maybe they, they didn't trust my grief. They didn't trust me able to, you know, 
speaking out. Their assumption of someone that's grief-stricken by losing their son would be, I'd be behind closed doors in a room rocking, unable to speak or comprehend, you know, because they can't imagine. You don't know what grief does to people, but they expect it to look a certain way. So if you are not conforming to how people expect grief to look, then that will invite opinion, it will invite suspicion, it will invite criticism. And I think that was the hard, hard thing for me. She doesn't blame the mainstream media for how she's been perceived by some, instead delighted to be headlined Our Rosie and thankful the portrayal has been overwhelmingly positive. Some of that would be luck, some of that would be intuitively trusting because of the type of publication and the calibre of journalism that I feel that I've been um, reflected in an amazing way. So I have always realised that it's very important to understand the publication, the journalist's intent and the programme. So I'm, I recognise how some people, through anger, through the need for revenge, through the uh, just, um, you know, can find themselves being exploited or their message and the way that they're portrayed doesn't resonate brilliantly or well or effectively. So it's not an easy journey for people who choose to speak out. Did you at any time feel that to the media you were a commodity for sales or ratings? I don't really feel that I was with the media. I think you need to be astute and sometimes just as you may feel you're it could be that you are, um, you are also using the media too. How do you make it work for you? Um, the messaging you need to convey for the campaign you may be running or the attention, a particular event and situation that's just happened, you know, you need to work with the media. So sometimes the media may be using you as a commodity, if, if you can look at it like that, or you need to look at, well, what am I getting out of this for the cause I'm representing? I'm not doing this for Rosie Batty. I'm doing this for the women and children who are being murdered. That's why I do it. So when I choose to be on TV, this is not about Rosie Batty's celebrity. And this is the criticism. It's look at her. Here she is again. She loves herself. No, it was really clear to me. I never hesitated because... This was the opportunity for women to be heard. I will say, you realise you're being a commodity to be wheeled out for political gain. Now that, you've got to be really mindful that that's exactly what's happening. When you're wheeled out and asked to stand behind a very prominent politician as they're announcing something, and so once you start to recognise that that's what's happening, you start to make it work for you too. People who are victims of family violence, they need to see me standing beside the Prime Minister or a leading politician because it gives them inspiration and belief that things are changing. So that's why you do it. You play the game. Rosie insists she was never motivated by accolades. They include being named in Fortune magazine's Top 50 World's Greatest Leaders in 2016 and appointed an Officer of the Order of Australia for service to the community in 2019. The last thing I thought I was when I stood out in front of the media that day 
was a, being a leader. I was embarrassed when people kept describing me as a leader. And I can see now that leadership isn't just about those highly visible astonishing leaders that we've seen demonstrated through history. A leader can be any ordinary person in their own community standing up for something or creating some change because it's the right thing to do at a particular time and they've got the energy and the guts to do it. She still cringes at being considered a celebrity, although for her it's an accidental status. Her mind instantly goes to those who achieved fame or sought it through self-promotion with an authenticity that seems staged. Rosie was surprised when asked to appear on a reality television show featuring celebrities. She declined. I refuse to buy into this celebrity thing. I feel quite uncomfortable and I feel unsure. I'm a publicly recognised person, it's, but I don't want ever to... You know, celebrity, no, it's, it's wrong. How could I buy into that? How could I genuinely buy into that. Rosie could have ignored the media attention, asked to be left alone or made a brief statement and reporters would have eventually moved on to the next tragic event. Instead she found her voice and used it for a public cause. Rosie has never felt an invasion of privacy and being a familiar face doesn't bother her. She grew up in a small English village where everyone knows each other then became part of the Tayab community in Australia. If people are a bit shy or a bit aloof, I, I still smile, I still say, hi, how are you going? And I think um, people would say, do you know who you remind me of? And I go, no, tell me. And they go, that woman, that woman, and <laughs> that woman who lost their son, or that woman, and, you know, you remind me of that Rosie Batty. And I go, that's because I am her, you know. And it would be quite It'd be quite funny, you know. And I think, yeah, I'm not as good looking in real life, am I? Especially when I haven't got my makeup on. So you you have to make light of this. How much of a private life, in effect, not open to reporting and therefore public scrutiny, have you been able to retain? I would say a lot. I mean, people I'm with used to notice if people turned around and looked or nudged because I was in a restaurant or walking down the street or at the airport or something like that. But I don't look for it anymore. I don't even notice. So if somebody comes and literally comes to talk to me, I jump out of my skin because I'm not expecting somebody to know who I am. Rosie weighs up offers to comment in the media or speak publicly, choosing to participate less and less as she looks to a future that isn't only about the epidemic of family violence she decried. She feels impatient when reporters ask her about the past. Rosie would like to advocate for women and children without being trapped in her trauma. The prospect of diminishing public recognition can be confusing, though, for an ordinary person who was thrust into the spotlight and remained there for so long, as she explains. So I I, I go from wanting to be anonymous and ordinary to then not wanting to let go of the little bit of feeling somewhat special. I mean, I've got some beautiful flowers there that somebody sent me. I got a card. I don't, you know, it's hard to let go of just slipping into anonymity and just what that may look like, you know, that that was what it was. And there's parts of me that want that and still, but still I, I love those that reach out to me. Do you think you could go back to being anonymous, if at all, where your name and face are unrecognisable? Well, it's very humbling because a lot of people don't know who the hell you are. I tell you what, my family 
and people in England know me as Rosie, nobody knows me as a celebrity or a recognised person over there. But I have been to India and I was in Delhi, I was at a temple and these people came up to me and said, you're Rosie Bhatti, aren't you? I've been in Japan, say, I've been, I was trekking in the middle of Yorkshire in the UK and these couple in the bed and breakfast said, are you Rosie Bhatti? So, so it astonishes me who does and I really like people coming and letting me know that they know who I am and just having a chat. I love it because they're not frightened of me. They're not frightened of upsetting me. And I think that's, that's what I enjoy is initially people would walk on the other side of the room. You know that avoidance, oh my God, how would you speak to a woman like that who's gone through so much or this is, you know, People don't know what to say. You know, they're full of fear when they're meeting you. So the greatest thing for me was when people would see me and they would light up with delight, you know, whether I go to speak somewhere or meet somebody, and they're not afraid. And I think that I'm happy with. Rosie's burden is that she will always be known publicly as the woman who endured years of family violence before her son was murdered by his father. I've looked at lots of different types of photos. I have seen myself looking like I'm in pain, like I'm sad, I'm like I'm angry. Uh, and then I've seen that progression too, where I'm looking at myself, looking strong or decisive or intent. And um, what I do like now is I think that that grief and pain in my eyes isn't as... I don't think I'm, my eyes are full of sorrow. I think, um, you know, that, that has shifted a little. The Rosie Batty Australians will remember, standing calmly in front of a media pack, inviting us into her life, is the chatty woman I met. She can now openly laugh as well as cry, even in the same conversation. She doesn't want to be pitied or protected any more than she did that day in 2014 when her beautiful Luke was taken from her. Rosie Batty now bravely faces the next stage of her life, not as a victim or, she hopes, as a survivor. What am I now? You know, I'm somebody that have experienced those things, so I don't know. I just like to consider myself a human being on a journey like everybody else that has experienced something that most people would never want to and never will experience. But do you want that to define you? Do you want that to limit you? Um, that's a challenge. If someone you know in Australia is impacted by domestic or family violence and needs support, you can contact 1800RESPECT on one 800 737 732 or through their website. If you're overseas, free counselling services can be found online. The Accidental Celebrity Series is researched, written and produced by me, Fiona Reynolds. Sound Design, Term 6 Podcast Productions. Graphics, Cheeky Turtle Productions. Editorial and Production Support, Sally Eels, Paula Donovan, Sue Bell and Graham Maddy. 
The term accidental celebrity was coined by leading Australian academics Graham Turner, Francis Bonner and David Marshall. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.